Welcome to the iHeartRadio and Coast to Coast AM Paranormal Podcast Network. Now get ready for another episode of Shades of the Afterlife with Sandra Champlain. Welcome to our podcast. Please be aware the thoughts and opinions expressed by the host are their thoughts and opinions only and do not reflect those of iHeartMedia, iHeartRadio, Coast to Coast AM, employees of Premier Networks, or their sponsors and associates. We would like to encourage you to do your own research and discover the subject matter for yourself. Hi, I'm Sandra Champlain. For almost 25 years, I've been on a journey to prove the existence of life after death. On each episode, we'll discuss the reasons we now know that our loved ones have survived physical death. And so will we. Welcome to Shades of the Afterlife. So I don't know why this is, but we often think of people who believe in the afterlife as wearing long flowing gowns, gypsies, fortune tellers, and some of the new age weirdos, can I say? And I feel very strongly about dispelling that because it's just not true. There's some mainstream people who believe in the afterlife just as much as anyone. So I want to introduce you today to Suzanne Giesman, who is a retired U.S. Navy commander. She's the author of 11 books. She's an inspirational speaker and an evidence-based medium. She has been recognized by Dr. Wayne Dyer and afterlife researcher Dr. Gary Schwartz. While she was in the U.S. Navy, Suzanne served as a commanding officer, as a special assistant to the chief of naval operations, and as an aide to the chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff on 9-11. In addition to earning the Defense Distinguished Service Medal, she has a master's degree in national security affairs and taught political science at the U.S. Naval Academy. Suzanne, welcome. Thanks, Sandra. Great to be here. Oh, great to have you. I spent the morning looking at your website and I'm thinking, oh, you're just a gold mine in a good way. When you can read and watch the short film that you have on your on your website and get filled with goosebumps, I know it'll be a good conversation. Uh, Excellent. Yeah. So if you don't mind, if we can just start off just finding out a a little bit about you. I mean, how does a gal end up being a U.S. Naval commander and then turn into a a medium? I mean, that's quite a jump. Yeah, you were reading that bio and I wanted to sit up straight in my chair and salute you. I just went right back into the the Navy mode there. It's very much a part of me and people that see me, I stand up straight, you know, and I can go into commander mode if I need to. But uh, I've swung the other way now from left brain to right brain. And and then when I work now as a medium, trying to balance the two and it's it's working out pretty well. But uh, to answer your question... Unfortunately, like many people who have a, a spiritual awakening or a big transition in their life, uh, mine came about after the death of my stepdaughter. That was a huge wake-up call hmm. for me. Yeah. When was that, that was, if I may ask? That was uh, 10 years ago already. God, time flies so fast, but so much has changed in those 10 years. And the beautiful part is just like you're titled, We Don't Die. That's what I learned from Susan's passing, because I didn't know that when she passed. I didn't have any idea there was an afterlife when I was in the Navy on 9-11, when so many people in the building where I worked, I worked in the Pentagon, so many were killed and, and flying over the World Trade Center on the last plane in the airspace on that day and looking down on that thinking, you know, why are some people in the wrong place at the wrong time? I had no idea at that point that we don't die. But as a result of 9-11 and Susan's death, I know that that is the greatest truth of all that that changes lives when we realize that. Mm. After uh, Suzanne or Susan passed, was that when you just started looking for answers? And how did you begin that journey? Well, I it was 9-11 that started me asking oh, okay. for the answers because I was really up close and personal there. And I, I took the traditional um, path of look, turning to organized religion and because I had been raised with no religion. And it, it just didn't resonate with me. And so I put my searching to the side. And as I tell people, the universe has a way of making sure we learn the lessons we came here to learn. And there are many paths to get to truth. 
and the truth being that we don't die. And so then when Susan passed, that's when I, I remember looking down at her body in the coffin and saying, that's not Susan. That's right. not Susan. So if it's not, then who is she? Who, who are we? And, and where is this spirit that enlivened that body? It has to still survive. So I took my husband, a retired Navy destroyer captain, to a medium. Ah. And that session, yeah, yeah, that just changed our life because, thank you, God, we were led to an evidence-based medium who brought through irrefutable evidence that our Susan was right there in the room with us. I remember it took me at least three days to process that. I, I walked around in a daze thinking, wait a minute, you mean she really is still with us? That's what I wanted to know, but she, she really is. It, it was life-changing. Yeah, can you give and, us an and now example? you and I do that for other people. Oh, I, I know. Can you give us an example of one of one of those? Um, oh yeah, moments that just because well, I I know for myself too oh. when I first heard things that like there's no other way any human being can know this unless life yes. after death is true. Well, being the skeptic that I was, and wanting to ensure that my husband also knew this was real, if it was real, mm-hmm. I didn't give the medium our last name. So I knew she couldn't Google the tribute that we had to Susan online. So she knew nothing about our loss. And she brought through a young woman who died in her 20s, who showed up in a brown uniform. Susan was a Marine, a sergeant in the Marines, killed on active duty. And Susan was struck by lightning. That's how she died. And the medium said, I suddenly have the headache of Zeus and Athena. And Zeus is the god with lightning bolts. And she said, I have this electrical tingly feeling all over me. Now, those are several pieces of evidence right there. But I would think one of the most stunning pieces, besides young woman, 20s, brown uniform, was when she said, this young woman is bringing with her a little baby boy who she wants to introduce to you. But he's hanging back shyly as if he doesn't know you. Well, that medium had no way of knowing that when Susan was struck by lightning, she was six months pregnant with a little boy. Oh. So, I mean, what is the other, there's no other explanation for that. No. No. And Susan has been around ever since and helping me in this work now and kicking me in the butt sometimes because that's the way she is and it's it's a blessing and so from there Suzanne there's a big jump from going to a medium and becoming (laughs) one yes yes you're right so I had always had a fascination with metaphysics and the afterlife and even reading about mediums, but I never had a reason to go to one. And I was already a published author at the time we went to that medium. And now I knew I had to share with people that this is real, that mediumship is not woo-woo stuff. This is real and it'll change your life. So I ended up writing two biographies of respected mediums and in doing so attended the class of one of them and (laughs) sitting in the classroom I learned how mediums work. That medium called me to the front of the room and said, by the way, you can do this too, and put me on the spot and standing there before a group of other people. She said, there's a spirit standing here. What do you sense? Not only did I sense a male, but that he died of cancer. He was an engineer. He had a full head of hair. And oh, by the way, he gave me the name Twinkle Toes. It was his nickname. If you, you could have knocked me over with a feather. Where did that come from? How did I know that? Right. Uh, Because he was standing right there. It's because I had been meditating for two years at that point. The day Susan died, I said, if she's still alive, I want to know it and started meditating. Little did I know that was a training ground for me to still my mind. So in that moment when the teacher said, "There's there's a man, no, there's a spirit standing here. What do you sense? When I shut my eyes, I knew how to quiet my mind. It just went blank. And that man was able to impress himself upon me. It was beautiful. Mm, And also a good reason for all of us to continue quieting the mind. And it's a hard thing to practice. But I tell you, there's Mm -hmm. so many miraculous things that happen in that mode when we can still that mind. Wow. Yeah, so my teacher uh, had studied, as Janet Milhavik had studied at the Arthur Finley College of Psychic Sciences oh, in England. I've heard of it. Where I know you've been. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, I said to her, look, 
I don't want to just take this halfway. I want to go all the way. I want to study with some of the best evidence-based mediums in the world. I'm going there. And that's where you really put your money where your mouth is, yes. put your time and, the, and put yourself on the line. And I went over there with the goal. I want to feel these spirits. I want to know they're really here. I want to see them. All of that happened. It changed my life. I came home from there just whispering, crying out the words, I am a medium. It was just, you know, it's like the last thing I ever expected. But I came home from there with having had such good experiences, bringing through evidence that I started practicing on family and friends and getting incredible evidence so much so that they started referring to family and friends and the referrals, referrals, referrals. And and to the point now where I finally had to stop taking referrals because I have over 300 people waiting for readings with me. I get it down to a reasonable amount. Then I open the waiting list again. But it's the evidence that changes lives. Mm, that's I'm beautiful. so grateful. Oh, so I'm grateful. I'm grateful. And yeah, what I experienced at Arthur Finley College as well was just mind-blowing yeah. and, and wonderful. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, so now there's the jump from medium to great medium because you know, have a waiting list that long. <laughs> it, it's well, well it's great. All, I give all credit to Spirit. Let me tell of you, course. because if you, you know, if it weren't, for that connection, we don't do this in a vacuum. It's just no. it's a it's a team effort, total team effort. They I work really hard to get through this. Now <laughs> here here lies the problem. You have three hundred people waiting for you. You can't get to everybody, but you can mm-hmm. get to them by some of the things you do. So if you don't mind, maybe um, talking a little bit about, let's see, which book you got some good ones. I know you've got a. Oh, thanks. Yeah, you've got well, messages, messages of hope. Of hope. Messages of hope was the story of how I went from Navy officer, and it tells about nine eleven to the story we just told. That the, uh, there's a lot of examples of the evidence that convinced me this is real, and the evidence in those initial readings, and that evidence is like get that book for people who have just had a loss, and they find it so comforting. Mm-hmm. To the message is clear: this life is not the end, and your loved ones are still with you. And as I say all the time. Talk to them. They hear you. So yeah, Messages of Hope is one of several with that message. Yeah, and I I often believe too that you don't have to go to a medium to get a message from your loved one or to even talk to them. You have a book that you've co-written with Gary Schwartz, Sonia Rinaldi, oh my gosh, Victor Zamet, Suzanne Wilson, all, all these great people that I know, called Afterlife Communication, 16 Proven Methods, 85 True Accounts. Is there some things we can do to connect on our own? That you oh, recommend? definitely. That meditation is the first key. Much more after the break. You're listening to Shades of the Afterlife on the iHeartRadio and Coast to Coast AM Paranormal Podcast Network. Don't go anywhere. There's more Shades of the Afterlife coming right up. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. People don't always realize just how much their negative thoughts and experiences stick with them and weigh them down. You may find your brain constantly running through a highlight reel of bad moments. That comment your friend made last week that hurt your feelings. That frustrating thing your mom does. Or that silly thing you said in a meeting. Maybe it's time to get it all off your chest. Whether it's a tiny annoyance or something much bigger, talking about it can give you some relief and lead you to a potential solution. That's where therapy comes in. It's a safe space to share whatever's weighing you down and learn to process it so your internal highlight reel can focus on the good stuff. And BetterHelp offers affordable online therapy on a schedule that works for you. Connect with a licensed therapist by text, phone, or video call. Start the process in minutes and switch therapist anytime. Let it out with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com shades today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp. H-E-L-P dot shades. I'm Scott Weinberger, journalist and former deputy sheriff. In my new podcast series, Cold-Blooded, The Apollo Jim Murders, I'm embedded in the cold case investigation into the death of firefighter Billy Halper. It's just a shame, you know, that they took him from us. Experience this investigation in a truly unique way, knocking on doors, uncovering new evidence, including the DNA of a potential killer. 
Uh, my name is Danny Smith. I'm a detective uh, with Miramar Police Department. This is Scott Weinberger. We're actually reopening an old case, and your name came up. Untangling secrets that may reveal the answers to not only one murder, but almost a dozen. I thought they were going to kill me, so I kept my mouth shut and I didn't say anything. All these years, I didn't say anything. Listen to Cold-Blooded, The Apollo Jim Murders on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, girlfriends, it's me, Carol Fisher. I'm so excited to tell you about the brand new series of The Girlfriends. In season one, we told you about the murder of Gail Katz at the hands of my ex-boyfriend, Bob. At one point, a woman's torso washed up on Staten Island and was misidentified as Gail. She spent nine years in Gail's grave, and then she just disappeared. It's almost like it's become this moral obligation to find her. And that's what we're going to do. Find this missing girlfriend and tell her story. With the help of some of your favorite girlfriends from season one, like my producer, Anna. Oh, my God. My friend, Dr. Mindy Shapiro. Hi, it's Dr. Shapiro, and I'd like to speak with the deputy medical examiner. And of course, Gail's sister, Elaine Katz. Having no closure, it kills you. Join us as we try to solve a 35-year-old cold case. It's not going to be easy, but it's going to be one hell of a ride. (gasps) What? I can't believe this. Listen to season two of The Girlfriends, Our Lost Sister on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Younger looks in minutes, it's real with Instantly Ageless from HealthyLooking.com. This velvety micro cream applied to areas on the face immediately diminishes visible signs of aging. Great for bags under the eyes, forehead wrinkles, saggy eyebrows, crow's feet, and facial pores. Now look your beautiful best in less than two minutes with Instantly Ageless. And it works great for women and men. Here's what happened when they tried Instantly Ageless on the doctors. But I want you all to imagine a cream that can instantly remove your under eye bags. We're going to put it to the test with our good friend, Dr. Sonia Batra. So what what is this product? So this is a product we're going to see if it works. It's called Instantly Ageless. And the idea is that it works very quickly. You just need a very small amount. And then you apply it to areas where you might be a little bit puffy. I have just looked at what's in this product and I've looked at the ingredients. And one of them is something called Argyroline, which is sort of a darling in dermatology right now. It's a peptide or a protein that actually relaxes is the muscle. It's also called Botox in a bottle. It's meant to relax muscle and work like Botox. I mean, you can literally see it working but, as you're yeah. putting Yeah. The other active ingredient in this is silicates, which are almost act like a clay. They're minerals, and they're making the skin sort of tighter. It's actually increasing the surface tension on the skin to push that herniated fat pad back. Order yours today at HealthyLooking.com or by phone at 800-604-3129. 800-604-3129. Our starter kit is only $19.99, including shipping. And the full-size box has now been discounted substantially as well. Put your best face forward instantly with Instantly Ageless from HealthyLooking.com. That's HealthyLooking.com. And now more Sandra on the iHeartRadio and Coast to Coast AM Paranormal Podcast Network. Welcome back to Shades of the Afterlife. I'm Sandra Champlain, and we are here with Suzanne Giesman, retired U.S. Navy commander, now medium and teacher. Suzanne, you were just saying that meditating, quieting the mind is one of the first ways we can get in touch with our loved ones. Quieting the mind, sitting quietly with the intention of connecting. And, you know, I want to get away from calling it meditation, too, because, as you know, having studied it at Arthur Finley College, there's another term that, that I find more empowering, and that is sitting in the power. I love that. And we do that when we sit quietly. And I have a new method that I'm teaching now in my courses and in my online courses called the Bless Me Method. You know, military people like acronyms. So I said to myself, when I sit in the power, what is it that I do mm-hmm. to connect with spirit? And this is going to be the real abbreviated version because I am in the process of writing a whole book about this. But it's seven steps. First, the bless me. And then B is 
focus on the breathing to relax and then lift your consciousness, that's the L, in any number of ways, thinking things you're grateful for, um, focusing on the heart. And then the uh, E is expand your consciousness, lots of visualizations for doing that. And then the S and S in bless me is surrender your focus on this reality, the human reality, and then shift. That's the second S. Shift your awareness to that part where we're all one, to the level of the soul. And then M-E and merge, merge your consciousness with your loved ones who have passed. You do it with intent. You do it with belief that it's possible. And then the E is just experience what happens. So it's breathe, lift, expand, surrender and shift, merge and experience. This is the rapid version, but I'm all kinds of videos that I'm going to be putting out in the future and doing webinars on this. Lots of tools to just know that that other level is there where our loved ones are. You're there now as a soul, but you may not know it till you surrender and shift your focus. Mm. And it's easy to forget or not even be aware of the way that we can connect with other people is we are souls and we just happen to have a human body. So it's not crazy to think that we can do this ourselves. We We all do it all the time. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. You read somebody when they walk in the room, you're reading their energy. You either resonate with someone or there's a little dissonance there. You know who's calling on the phone before it even rings. You read your partner's thoughts because your energy fields intermingle so often. You're, You're just, merged without even knowing it that's the soul the energy aspect of us Mm, i love the blessed method can you talk a little bit about the film because oh that was a blessing in itself i mean my my goal is help me reach as many people as possible with this message that we don't die and i gave a reading to a woman who didn't even know what mediumship was somebody just said hey you're stuck in your grief go see this woman suzanne geesman so she sat with me and her husband on the other side came to a so clearly, and it was life-changing for her. Well, it turns out her son is a filmmaker, and she said, uh, I think he needs to do a film about this woman who had this incredible transition from Navy commander and aide to the chairman to now a medium. And so he did this wonderful documentary, really truthful. There was no need to sensationalize it at all, and it has played at, at least eight film festivals and done very well because it, it goes straight to the heart. So... I'm very proud of that documentary. Yeah, as you should uh, be. Messages of Hope. Would you mind sharing what your website is? Because there's also a link on your website to watch oh, the film, correct? Yeah. It, well, it's SuzanneGeesman.com, but that's a little hard to spell. So it, you can also get there by typing in LoveAtTheCenter.com. LoveAtTheCenter.com. That's the second blessing that comes from doing this work is the transformation that happens when you tap into who we are. It's amazing. Life-changing. We thank Suzanne for being here. And now we're going to stick with the U.S. Navy and meet Chief Petty Officer Tony Woody, who has a career of 22 years with honorable service. He was a P-3 Orion aircraft flight engineer for over 20 years. What happened to him? Well, his pilot botched an engine-out emergency landing, and the plane suddenly departed the runway at over 150 miles per hour and narrowly missed slamming into an emergency response vehicle. This caused Chief Petty Officer Woody to suddenly have a profound out-of-body experience. Welcome, Tony. Thank you, Sandra. It's very much a pleasure to be here. I'm looking forward to uh, working with you. Let's hear a little bit about you. How did you end up getting involved with the Navy to begin with? You grew up in Texas. Yeah, small town in East Texas, really small. I mean, I had the same first grade teacher my dad did, and I was the second uh, uh, to the youngest of six kids, so that should tell you something. Yes. (laughs) And my dad was in World War II when he was in the service when he was younger, and so not a whole lot of opportunities in East Texas where I grew up when you graduate high school and couldn't afford to go to college at the time. So I followed my dad's footsteps and joined the Navy. Back then, they had a commercial on television that said, the Navy, it's not just a job, it's an adventure. Man, that was a gross understatement, I have to say. And uh, so I joined the Navy, went to boot camp and uh, did a little training. I was going to be a, an engine mechanic uh, originally, aviation machinist mate, so what's that called? is what that is called, but... Um, 
a jet engine mechanic. And uh, when I got to my first command, I got sent to a P3 Orion squadron in Jacksonville, Florida. And at 18 years old, when you first get to your first command as a junior enlisted, they put you in what's called the first lieutenant division where you do these, you know, the jobs nobody else wants to do. Right. <laughs> and so I was at that time put in the uh, squadron snack bar. Each command had their own little snack bar and I was running the register. And the commanding officer came in there. I'd never met him. He was in his flight suit. And I asked him what it was like to go f- flying one of those big old birds. And he said, come with me, son, and I'll show you. And that very day, uh, he hooked me up with a flight engineer. I followed him around for a couple hours as he showed me what he did on a pre-flight. And then I'm in the flight station at the uh, approach into the runway after we've started the engines and everything. And we're waiting for, for uh, we've taxied and we're waiting to take the runway. We're waiting for another airplane to land. We had a bit of a wait. And the skipper turned to the engineer and said, what do you think? Should we put him in there? He goes, yeah. Next thing I know, the engineer gets out of his seat and they tell me to get in the chair. And wow. uh, I'm pushing power levers now all of a sudden. Wow. 18 uh, years old. Yeah. And two hours earlier, I was selling hot dogs. You know, so where else can you do that? And we get in the air after the takeoff. The engineer is standing up behind me doing all the uh, checklist stuff because I'm a know-nothing nugget at that point. And after they get done with the climb checklist, the skipper smacks me on my knee and says, by the way, son, you know you can do that job. And he knew what he was doing. He saw a young kid with an interest. He set the hook and reeled me in. And uh, that was all I wanted to do. And so I worked at it really hard. After I got done with first lieutenant division, I went straight into the flight engineer shop and started on the job training as a flight engineer. And by the time I was 21 years old, I'd earned my wings and was the youngest man in the history of the P3 Navy community, which has been around since 1962, to earn my wings as a flight engineer on a P3 Orion aircraft. And that started my career. Wow, really incredible. What does an engineer do? Because I know there's different seats up there in the cockpit, right? We called it the center seat because it's one of the, I think it's the only airplane with a flight engineer where the engineer doesn't sit off to the side in the back. You actually sit facing forward right between the pilot Mm -hmm. and the pilot. And so on takeoff, I would bend forward and uh, I was the one that set power on takeoff. It's also the only plane with a flight engineer where the engineer handles the power levers. So it was very exciting for that that first day. And, um, I just kept at it and, uh, loved it. And I was tailor-made for that job. Ironically though, when I was about 10 years old, I'd never been around airplanes. I'd never seen an airplane up close, even a small one. And we went to an air base uh, one day or a, uh, a near Dallas area when I was a kid and I saw it was a large aircraft, mm-hmm. an airplane. And I just fell in love with it. And I told my dad that day that one day I was going to fly in a plane like that. I knew at that moment at 10 years old, I just knew it. And eight years later, that's what I was doing. (laughs) Wow. My dad worked at a little airport when he was 16 and he ended up going into the Air Force and plenty of stories from him and went off to being captain with American Airlines. And, uh, you know, I always hear the stories of him flying, whether uh, whatever seat he was in in the cockpit, you know, I'd hear the stories of, and he eventually made captain and yeah, the rest is history. Yeah, I'm sure he's got his stories too. There's, there's an aviation, uh, there's a, aviators will tell you the definition of aviation is hours and hours and hours of boredom interspersed with moments of start era. Uh, yes. Yes. <laughs> no question. Long in a hurry. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, anyway, so that's all great. And before I forget, thank you for your service and your really your commitment to our country. It takes a, a lot. And I thank know I speak for all of us. Dollars to have all that fun. <laughs> yeah. But I speak for all of us for you know protecting our country and, and, and doing all of that. So where does the story go on to? Because I know that you've had some incredible experiences in your career. Well, uh, I was, okay. I was in Florida when I started out. And mm-hmm. so by the time I left Jacksonville, Florida, uh, my next set of orders, uh, this was about six years into it almost, five and a half years. And I already had, I don't know, probably 2,000 hours flight experience by then. I transferred to Barbers Point Naval Air Station, Hawaii. Got there in 1981. And then in 1982, every even year number, they have the RIMPAC military exercises. RIM of the Pacific is what it's called. Mm -hmm. Um, It's the largest military exercise on the planet that involves numerous different countries. And so it was my crew's turn to go flying on one of the missions. And we'd go out for 12, 13-hour flight. So we took off and we're fully loaded. Now, this is a 70-ton airplane. So you carry 62,000 pounds of fuel. 
So we we took off, climbed, started the climb out, got to about 10,000 feet, had an engine malfunction on number one, and we had to shut it down. And you can't dump all the fuel, so we dumped what we could, and then we had to fly around till we got to max allowable land weight because you don't want to land too heavy for fear of damaging the structural integrity. Mm-hmm. And uh, we come back, came back into land, and we did the emergency brief and declared an emergency and all that. And when you do that, they literally put the emergency response vehicles, big fire trucks really is what they are, on each side of the runway. You have two at a certain place, two more further down, and two more further down. And as you go past them on landing, they pull in behind you and chase you. So they're right there in case anything goes wrong. That's typically a good thing. But that day it wasn't. Um, and fortunately, we landed on, it was parallel runways. The heading was 040, and we landed on the left runway. Had we landed on the right one, I would not be here talking to you today. Tony, I think this is a good time to take our break. And when we come back, we'll let you finish the story. You're listening to Shades of the Afterlife on the iHeartRadio and Coast to Coast AM Paranormal Podcast Network. I'm Scott Weinberger, journalist and former deputy sheriff. In my new podcast series, Cold-Blooded, The Apollo Jim Murders, I'm embedded in the cold case investigation into the death of firefighter Billy Halper. It's just a shame, you know, that they took him from us. Experience this investigation in a truly unique way, knocking on doors, uncovering new evidence, including the DNA of a potential killer. Uh, my name is Danny Smith. I'm a detective uh, with Miramar Police Department. This is Scott Weinberger. We're actually reopening an old case, and your name came up. Untangling secrets that may reveal the answers to not only one murder, but almost a dozen. I thought they were going to kill me, so I kept my mouth shut, and I didn't say anything. All these years, I didn't say anything. Listen to Cold-Blooded, The Apollo Jim Murders, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, girlfriends, it's me, Carol Fisher. I'm so excited to tell you about the brand new series of The Girlfriends. In season one, we told you about the murder of Gail Katz at the hands of my ex-boyfriend, Bob. At one point, a woman's torso washed up on Staten Island and was misidentified as Gail. She spent nine years in Gail's grave, and then she just disappeared. It's almost like it's become this moral obligation to find her. And that's what we're going to do. Find this missing girlfriend and tell her story. With the help of some of your favorite girlfriends from season one, like my producer, Anna. Oh my God. My friend, Dr. Mindy Shapiro. Hi, it's Dr. Shapiro, and I'd like to speak with the deputy medical examiner. And of course, Gail's sister, Elaine Katz. Having no closure, it kills you. Join us as we try to solve a 35-year-old cold case. It's not going to be easy, but it's going to be one hell of a ride. (gasps) What? I can't believe this. Listen to season two of The Girlfriends, Our Lost Sister on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. We started talking about this incident. Drugs and uh, officials cover up. You couldn't believe it. From iHeart Podcasts. It's like the police knew who he was before they got here. A story about money, power, and corruption. The medical school dean at USC was leading a secret double life. He's breathing right now? Yes, he's absolutely breathing. I'm a doctor, actually. There's no way that that guy's a doctor. I'm Paul Pringle, and I'm an investigative reporter for the LA Times. This is the story of an investigation that starts in a hotel room in Pasadena, California, and reaches all the way to the top of two of the most powerful institutions in the city of Los Angeles. When people fall in line, they fall in line. Looking back, I realized, oh, everyone knew. This is Fallen Angels, a story of California corruption. We're always going to have predators. It's the good people who stand by and do nothing that allow them to flourish. Listen to Fallen Angels. A story of California corruption on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcasts. 
Dr. Nathan Newman, doctor to top athletes and celebrities, plus creator of stem cell-based Luminesce, is proud to announce a much lower price on his products, so more can enjoy a more youthful look. Luminesce is great for women and men on those fine lines, wrinkles, under-eye bags, plus great on the neck, forehead, and hands. Dr. Newman. What causes the skin to break down with age? Changes that we start to look on our skin starts actually in our 20s where we get sun damage and the effects of pollution and our environment start to cause our skin to age and we start to break down the collagen, the elastin, and we get glycation, which is the sugar that we eat gets stuck within the collagen fibers and makes our skin inflexible. The Luminous Skin Care line does two things. One, it has a reparative effect so it makes the skin look and feel much better, softer, supple, and more young and smooth, but it also is preventative. So it prevents the skin from the breakdown and the damage that we get from the sun and from the environment and from sugars that we have in our body. Thank you, Dr. Newman. For several years, we have offered Luminous products and decided a price reduction was in order, so more can enjoy the amazing benefits of Dr. Newman's stem cell-based Luminous. Shop now at HealthyLooking.com or call toll-free 800-604-3129. If you would like to try Luminous, how about our starter kit, postage paid for $19.99? See the full line of products from Luminous, plus our starter kit offer at HealthyLooking.com. That's HealthyLooking.com or call 800-604-3129. Luminous from HealthyLooking.com. Hey, it's time to head over to coasttocoastam.com and check out the Art Bell Vault, a collection of timeless audio. Listen to some of the great interviews with the likes of the late Father Malachi Martin, Dr. Evelyn Paglini, investigative journalist Jim Mars, and more. This is classic audio that you can enjoy at any time, and it's all heard without interruption. New shows are added each week, so find out how to access the Art Bell Vault now by going to coasttocoastam.com. That's coasttocoastam.com. Did you know that tests that could save your life from cancer are now available for little or no cost thanks to the health care law called the Affordable Care Act? Let this be the year you get screening tests that can help detect cancer early when it's most treatable. Don't let concerns get in your way. Talk to a doctor or other medical professional to learn more about the best cancer testing options for you. Welcome back to Shades of the Afterlife. I'm Sandra Champlain, and we are with U.S. Navy's Chief Petty Officer, Tony Woody. Now, Tony, you were just talking about coming in with the emergency landing. Uh, When we came in and landed, we have to go a lot faster because we're heavy. And instead of landing with the normal fuel load of about 8,000 pounds left on top of your uh, airfield when we get done with a mission, we still had 42,000 pounds of fuel on board. So you have to fly a lot faster to keep the plane in the air. Right. So at those speeds, things go wrong in a hurry. So we landed at about 135 knots, which is around just over 155 miles an hour. And... Main mounts touched the ground. Everything seemed okay. The nose gear came down and we started a swerve to the right. And we briefed that. You expect a swerve to the right because you have two engines on that side giving you reverse thrust with one on the other side. But the pilot put in incorrect rudder for some reason, thinking he was putting in proper correction. And then he jams in more because it kept swerving to the right. And the next thing we know... Uh, all of a sudden, we're headed directly at one of the fire trucks that's sitting on the side of the runway. And all of a sudden had death coming at me at over 150 miles an hour. And there was absolutely nothing I could do about it. It was the most helpless, ho- hopeless feeling I've ever felt. And I had a three-year-old son at the time. And all I could think about in those last few seconds was that I was never going to see my son again or hold my son again or see my family. And uh, we came so close to that fire truck that the right wing tip went over the top of the fire truck. And I could see the 
guy on the top of the fire truck with the water cannon. He's in his silver fire suit. I couldn't hear him, but I could see him screaming at the top of his lungs in terror because he probably thought he was dead too. Just sure. like, it's not a, you think you're going to die. You know, it. you know, it. it's coming, you know, it. And, uh, I'm dead. There's nothing I can do. Here it comes. And all of a sudden I found myself out of the airplane, literally up above and to the right of the airplane. And I'm still seeing the perspective from my flight engineer seat too. I'm in two places at once. And I'm very confused. I don't understand what's going on. But the me that was out of the airplane, I call it fractured consciousness. I I don't know what else to call it. The part of me that was outside the airplane could see the propellers spinning and everything was in super slow motion. It was like a time distortion thing. And I literally watched the propeller, which is 13 feet from tip to tip, weighs 2,200 pounds, spins at 1,020 rounds a minute, and is moving forward at 150 plus miles an hour. I watched it gap the front left corner of the fire truck as the blades were spinning. They just, it it went over the fire truck, but they gapped it and went past it. So a split second, one way or the other, that propeller would have slammed into that fire truck. It was literally like, I bet you couldn't have gotten a piece of paper between those the fire truck and the and the propeller blade when it went through. Wow. Yeah. And that really was amazing to see that from that perspective. And then the plane is now leaving the runway at about 35 degree angle across the asphalt between the runways. And it's throwing up all this dust and debris. And all of us, I started seeing that. And then the next thing I know, my consciousness is fracturing into to where all these other, anything that was floating in the air, any piece of debris, didn't matter what it was, I was in that location too. All these perspectives, is all the debris flying around, I'm flying around with each one of them. You would think it would seem very chaotic, but it had this feeling of sublime perfection where I knew every piece of debris was exactly where it was supposed to be, doing what it was supposed to be doing, when it was supposed to be doing it. And there was this absolute calm effect going on, which I didn't know if I was dead. I didn't know what was going on. I was just totally confused trying to understand what was happening to me. And I still had the perspective of me being in the flight engineer seat as well. And we ended up going all the way across the asphalt between the two runways. I could see the fire trucks chasing us, all of that. It was just totally strange. We finally came to a stop half on, half off the other runway. We literally went all the way across to the other runway, runway four right. And by the time we realized the plane was okay, fire trucks caught up to us. And we ended up adding power and finishing the rollout on another runway. So I literally did a three-engine emergency landing in a four-engine heavyweight aircraft and used did one approach and one landing and used two entirely different runways to do that with. So I didn't know what to say or or anything. I looked at the co-pilot. I watched him when he came off his adrenaline rush and he looks at me and I look at him and I'm like, did you see that? He said, hell yeah. And, but I don't think he understood what I was really talking about. Right. And I didn't know how to express it at the time. And it was just, uh, I just did my job at that point. I didn't know what else to do, but it confused me. So I didn't say anything to anybody that day. Uh, the next day, they wouldn't do this these days, but the next day we did a refly and the commanding officer took the pilot and myself back out to shoot touch and goes. And I started having post-traumatic stress on the first approach, not didn't even think about it might affect me that way. I had no, that, that term wasn't even uh, developed yet. Post-traumatic stress disorder. disorder yeah didn't even exist back then. You know, back then they put you back on the horse and see if you could ride. So <laughs> I bent forward because I didn't want the skipper to see my face and I couldn't look outside on the first few approaches. And I had to, because of the terror that I was experiencing. Mm-hmm. So I got through that day and that flight after several landings, I was finally had convinced myself I could do the job. And it's probably the only time that I'll ever run off the runway and get your head back in the game. But I knew if the commanding officer saw my face, he'd realize I wasn't able to do that job at that point. But I got through it. And then on Wednesday, that happened on a Monday, the, the incident did, the original aircraft incident. The refly happened on a Tuesday. 
Then on Wednesday, there was this television show. I know this kind of sounds unrelated, but for some reason, uh, something happened on that Monday that opened a gateway somehow. I don't understand it. I went to bed that night after my wife and I had watched the television show that came on back then called That's Incredible. And they had this man on there named Leslie Lemke, L-E-M-K-E. I think you can still look him up on uh, YouTube. So I'm not going to go into any details about his story, but what I felt was I was seeing my first miracle. And I now understand everything's a miracle. I didn't understand that at 24 years old. But I went to bed that night and said just a simple prayer, genuine gratitude, really. Um, Short prayer. I'll never forget it. Just thanking God for allowing me to see my first miracle. And then I added the words, and it'd be nice if you could do something like that for me someday. And you make that statement in your head. You don't really expect anything, you know, of it. Right. Right. Why would you? But that's what I said in my head. And I never forgot that and uh, went to sleep. And then sometime in the middle of the night, I used to call old Dark 30 in the military. I don't know, 3.30 or so or 4 in the morning. I don't know what it was, but it was still very dark and very early. There was this instantaneous shift in location of my consciousness. I didn't go through a tunnel. I didn't physically get injured or physically die. But all of a sudden, I'm in this black void, and I'm seeing this absolutely beautiful golden white liquid molten crystalline white light that was pouring out energy in all directions of just profound unconditional love and i instantly knew i was in the presence of my creator you can't not know because the energy from i call it the heart of god was pouring right through me expressing to me on a extremely intimate level uh, what God felt about me as, as an individual and as a, as one of God's children, that's the way I view it now. I was being flooded with profound, unconditional love on a cosmic scale that cannot be expressed in human words. Wow. And I said th- th- three words in just sheer dumbfounded awe of my what I was seeing, feeling, and experiencing. I said, oh, my goodness. And... The instant I said the word goodness, the essence of goodness on a cosmic scale poured through me. And I could feel the difference between goodness and love. And the love was by far the most power. I could. I was one with the infinite power, too. I felt it. It was this unbelievably infinite feeling of infinite power that was under absolute perfect control. And it was equally as powerful as it was, it was also equally benevolent on the same level. And I knew anybody will know that if that being didn't want you to exist anymore, you would be wiped out in an instant. But I also knew how precious I was this individual, this being of light, this creator I call my God, was expressing to me with energy how deeply loved I am unconditionally. And by the way, I grew up in East Texas, Southern Baptist, fundamentalist perspective. And so after that happened to me, I had to change my whole way of thinking because mm-hmm. that didn't fit with what I experienced. And I'm an engineer, so I kind of need need all the uh, details to be to fit. You know? Right, right. <laughs> <laughs> so the love was there. The power was immense. It was under absolute, complete control and per- perfect control. I was in a place of perfection, and I knew it. I mean, you just feel it. The whole environment itself is like air dominates this area here. Mm-hmm. Yep. Well, imagine the air doesn't just dominate your outside of you. It dominates your very cells and energy and your in you. So there's this immutable spiritual law that I call it on the other side that prevents any negative expression of any kind from being expressed while in the presence of that being. That's how it works there. I don't know how that can happen, but God. that's why God's God and I'm not. Right, right, right. So I said the three words, oh, my goodness, and then the goodness blasted through me. Joy came next, bliss, peace, ecstasy. I was home, and I knew it. I was finally home. And I had this, I call it this moment, I call it the urge to merge. You have this instinctive, deep desire to go deeper into the light. That's all you care about. 
I was attract you're attracted to that light just like a moth to a flame. You can't uh -huh. do that. And the next thing I realized, I saw through the peripheral vision, I could see these the backs of a pair of hands. We need to take a quick break, and Tony, when we get back, we want to find out who's at the end of these hands. You're listening to Shades of the Afterlife on the iHeartRadio and Coast to Coast AM Paranormal Podcast Network. Stay right there. There's more Sandra coming right up. I'm Scott Weinberger, journalist and former deputy sheriff. In my new podcast series, Cold-Blooded, The Apollo Jim Murders, I'm embedded in the cold case investigation into the death of firefighter Billy Halper. It's just a shame, you know, that they took him from us. Experience this investigation in a truly unique way, knocking on doors, uncovering new evidence, including the DNA of a potential killer. Uh, my name is Danny Smith. I'm a detective uh, with the Miramar Police Department. This is Scott Weinberger. We're actually reopening an old case, and your name came up. Untangling secrets that may reveal the answers to not only one murder, but almost a dozen. I thought they were going to kill me, so I kept my mouth shut, and I didn't say anything. All these years, I didn't say anything. Listen to Cold-Blooded, The Apollo Jim Murders on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, girlfriends, it's me, Carol Fisher. I'm so excited to tell you about the brand new series of The Girlfriends. In season one, we told you about the murder of Gail Katz at the hands of my ex-boyfriend, Bob. At one point, a woman's torso washed up on Staten Island and was misidentified as Gail. She spent nine years in Gail's grave, and then she just disappeared. It's almost like it's become this moral obligation to find her. And that's what we're going to do. Find this missing girlfriend and tell her story. With the help of some of your favorite girlfriends from season one, like my producer, Anna. Oh, my God. My friend, Dr. Mindy Shapiro. Hi, it's Dr. Shapiro, and I'd like to speak with the deputy medical examiner. And, of course, Gail's sister, Elaine Katz. Having no closure, it kills you. Join us as we try to solve a 35-year-old cold case. It's not going to be easy, but it's going to be one hell of a ride. <gasps> what? I can't believe this. Listen to season two of The Girlfriends, Our Lost Sister on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. We started talking about this incident. Drugs and uh, officials cover up. <laughs> You couldn't believe it. From iHeart Podcasts. It's like the police knew who he was before they got here. A story about money, power, and corruption. The medical school dean at USC was leading a secret double life. He's breathing right now? Yes, he's absolutely breathing. I'm a doctor, actually. There's no way that that guy's a doctor. I'm Paul Pringle, and I'm an investigative reporter for the LA Times. This is the story of an investigation that starts in a hotel room in Pasadena, California, and reaches all the way to the top of two of the most powerful institutions in the city of Los Angeles. When people fall in line, they fall in line. Looking back, I realized, oh, everyone knew. This is Fallen Angels, a story of California corruption. We're always going to have predators. It's the good people who stand by and do nothing that allow them to flourish. Listen to Fallen Angels. A story of California corruption on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcasts. At ParanormalDate.com, you meet the most fantastic people. Hi, I'm Tom. Hi, I'm Jennifer. What brings you here? Yeah, I'm here to meet someone who understands me. How so? Well, I'm into UFOs, ghosts, aliens, Bigfoot, conspiracy theories, uh, the paranormal, uh, that kind of stuff. But can't seem to find anyone who gets it. Oh, well, um, nice to meet you, Tom. I, I gotta go. Uh, uh, okay, guess that's not your cup of tea. Uh, you sure? Very. Good luck 
stick with that. I can't meet anyone when I'm out, and I really can't find a website for my unique interests. What does one to do? Have you thought about ParanormalDate.com? Para what dot what? Who are you? I'm a paranormal matchmaker, and it's ParanormalDate.com. It's a website for people looking for people like them. Stuff you like, remember? Interesting. Uh, I'll give it a try. Well, let's try this again. Uh, hi, I'm Tom. Hey, I'm Deb. Your profile on ParanormalDate.com looked very interesting. So you really saw a UFO? Well, yeah. It was so intense, but not as intense as meeting you. You're an alien chasing flirt, but I kind of like it. Wow, this ParanormalDate.com thing really works. Maybe ParanormalDate.com is for you. People with an interest in things they hear on George's show find their match daily. So if you're looking for that special someone... With an interest in UFOs, ghosts, aliens, Bigfoot, conspiracy theories, and, of course, the paranormal. Come to the dating site inspired by George Norrie. It's always free to search, and if you decide to upgrade to our amazing new features, use promo code GEORGE for a great discount. ParanormalDate.com. You are not alone. And now back to Sandra Champlain and Shades of the Afterlife. Welcome back to Shades of the Afterlife. I'm Sandra Champlain, and we are with U.S. Navy Chief Petty Officer Tony Woody. And Tony, you are describing this, what seems like a near-death experience, but it happened after your close call in the aircraft, and now you are lying in your bedroom having this wild experience. So you were talking about the hands. Kind of curious, what are these hands doing there? Uh, and then the rest of the bedroom started coming in, my bedroom that I was in, started coming into view peripherally. That's when I realized that those were my hands that were up in the air. I had sat up in bed and I had my hands up and then I could see the rest of the room come back in. And at the foot of the bed across the room, there was no wall anymore. And the room was lit up like a billion stars. And I realized I had set up in bed and I was looking at my hands. And I think God did this for a reason because he knew I was, I'm an engineer. And if I had not happened this way, I would have sim- simply written this off as some sort of an exotic dream later. Yes. But I couldn't do that because of the way it happened. So I'm now sitting up in bed. I've got tears going down my face and my hands are up in the air and, and I could see my wife's feet through my peripheral vision and I could tell that her back was to me and I'm thinking, ah, how can she sleep through all this? <laughs> you know, it's like a billion stars in the bedroom and all this energy and the wall is gone at the end of the room. And I literally had God in my bedroom and my, I couldn't understand how she could sleep through all of this. And then I went, Oh, I'm really awake. This is really happening to me. And the moment God realized that I flat out knew I wasn't dreaming and I was awake, the whole, it was about a 10 foot circle of the wall and ceiling in my bedroom at the foot of the bed across the room was the light. And it all shrunk down, not instantly, but just over about a second or two, shrunk down to the center and went away. And I just, I'll never forget how that felt because I just had the most, the greatest love I will ever know ripped away from me. And I just sat there the rest of the night staring at the wall because there was this residual spiritual energy still fluctuating through the wall mm-hmm. uh, or in the wall. Or, and I just kept praying and asking that the light, hoping the light would come back until the sun gradually started coming up. And as that happened, as the room got brighter, the energy faded away in the wall. And then my wife woke up and she says, what's wrong with you? (laughs) And I had no idea how to explain any of that. And uh, uh, the following Sunday, I went to the church looking for help because I didn't know what to do with that. I needed an answer. Sure. I needed a lot of answers and I had no understanding of, of what happened to me or how that could happen or what am I supposed to do with it. At that point, I wasn't even considering what that meant as far as who and what I am. I'm just trying to figure out, you know, what to do next. And uh, 
I went to a church in Wai'anae where we had been going to. They had a guest pastor there that day, and he looked at me kind of oddly. And after I expressed it to him, I was able to get it out. But every time I brought it up for the first few years, I'd start crying because it was just so overwhelming. But I was able to express to him the story and what happened. And he turned his kind of tilted his head and looked at me a little oddly and then turned his back on me and walked away and never said a word. And so I kind of got angry after that because I felt like I got kicked out of heaven with no answers because there were no words spoken to me when I was in the light. Mm -hmm. Just all energy of from God expressing to me how deeply precious I am and important as an individual. And it's the same for everybody. I'm not claiming any special status here or anything at all. I'm just, I knew that that love and that depth of love was for everyone, not just me. But God makes you feel so personally important and precious. And so my best analogy, what the love felt like is this, uh, after over 35 years of thinking about it, and believe me, there's not a day that went by that I haven't thought about it since it happened. But the love felt like I was that precious to God because I was going to be the last newborn baby at the end of the history of the life of the entire universe. And I was being loved, held, and cradled by all the mothers in all the galaxies in all the previous history of, of the universe all at once. That's the best analogy I've been able to come up with. That's beautiful. Uh, Tony, does that... Does Go ahead. It, does it, this memory stay in your mind better than any dream oh. or any other memory? I mean, does it stay alive? It, it's it's every day. It's it is seared into my consciousness. There's no way anyone can ever forget anything like that. Yeah, the reason I ask that is I've interviewed many people who've had near death experiences and some that have had out of body experiences, and the level of memory is as if it just happened. And even if it's seventy years ago, it, it is clearer than anything that just happened yesterday. It's more real than anything I've ever experienced here by far. Yeah. And that to me is just one of those signs that this is a really divine occurrence. Uh, I've never had one, but that, that is a commonality. And also that feeling of that unconditional love that can't be put into words no. um, and the light. And, you know, I feel really grateful myself that you're sharing this. Well, uh, I was one of the speakers there at the International Association for, for Near-Death Studies because we're trying to get this information out to help other veterans. Yes. There. So I met a, a captain that's active duty in the Navy back when, when I was there. She's a psychiatrist or psychologist or something. I can't remember which. She has done some studies, and I can't remember her name because it's a long, hard name to pronounce. She's from an India descent. Her first name is Mina, but I can't I can't say her last name. It's too complicated. That's to me. okay. She told me that the statistics that they have that about fifty percent of veterans, combat veterans, are having these experiences. In the military, it's not accepted very well if you start talking about these kind of things. And uh, so we, through IONS, and I got involved with the International Association of Near Death Studies about four or five years ago when I first heard about them. I have since been working with. Diane Corcoran, who was the former president of IONS, and she's a retired Army colonel and was a nurse in Vietnam. Uh, and that's what piqued her interest was when the soldiers there were in their recovery room after surgery were telling her they, about their experiences. And she's been pushing to try for over 40 years to try and get something done about this so that the veterans or, or active duty military have the ability to freely speak about these kind of things. Because it is outside the military box by far. You don't talk about it because you don't want to, when you're active duty, because you don't want to be labeled crazy. And I knew if I did, I would never be able to fly again. And I love being a flight engineer. So I, I clammed up. I just didn't talk about it. But that doesn't work either. Uh, and because I got angry, remember, at the uh, chaplain or the uh, uh, pastor. Of course. And kind of got angry at God, too, because I wasn't given any answers. No words were spoken to me. It was just the energy of all of that. And um, and then it was just over. And so I didn't even understand that for probably for the first 10 or 15 years that I was experiencing grief 
as well because I had lost the greatest love I'll ever know. And uh, so it, it's been a very uh, interesting ride. So w- what we did with the Irons community is uh, created a video called Understanding Veterans' Near-Death Experiences. And it's been very professionally done. It's about 36 minutes long. I just want to help the other veterans. And uh, so myself, a couple other veterans, Shallow Harris and Glenn, I uh, cannot remember Glenn's last name right now. Um, and also a family member of a veteran that's passed already. She discusses, her name's Alma, how because her father was labeled as having psychological problems because of his spiritual experience, it had a very negative effect on his family over the decades, as did did in mine when it ended up costing me a marriage. And there were, I just had a lot of problems adapting, readapting to this place after having had a taste of perfection. It's really hard coming back here. The purpose of the video is to help other veterans and to train medical professionals, whether they're military, veterans administration, or civilians. It doesn't matter because you don't have to be in the military to have a near-death experience. Right. Uh, and this, these type of problems are happening to everyone that have had a spiritual experience. If they don't understand what happened to them, it's very it changes you forever. And so we're just trying to get this information out there to let people know there are other options uh, and there are other, there's a lot more information out there and here's where you can come get the answers. And for the medical community, here's how to deal with it. Here's how to help these people uh, talk about it. And so all we ever really needed was validation. I want to thank Tony for sharing his story today because so often we hear about these near-death experiences and people have amazing experiences and they come back with light and love and psychic abilities, but there's another side of it as well. When you get a taste of something that is so perfect, so beautiful, this feeling of unconditional love, and then you're transported back to earth, it's like, wait a minute. I want to be back there. What happened? And there isn't a world that openly accepts it yet. Now, there's a great group called IANDS, I-A-N-D-S dot org, and it's the International Association for Near-Death Studies. And if you go to their website and you click on resources and educational training videos, you can find that video that Tony was talking about. It's ultra important for people to learn that near-death experiences and these mystical experiences are very real. And who knows what causes it? But they're real, they're important, and there is support. Grief is a bear. I was going to say something else, but I'm going to say a bear. When we lose something and we're back to reality, it makes us feel awful. I have a ton of free grief resources at wedontdie.com. You can get a free copy of my book by joining the Insiders Club. You can type coupon code FREE into the store where you see the We Don't Die audiobook. So I really want to thank you for listening to this, but I feel these two experiences from two great Navy people are really important so that you know we don't die. This is Sandra Champlain. You've been listening to Shades of the Afterlife on the iHeartRadio and Coast to Coast AM Paranormal Podcast Network. And if you like this episode of Shades of the Afterlife, wait until you hear the next one. Thank you for listening to the iHeartRadio and Coast to Coast AM Paranormal Podcast Network.